welcome to the second episode of Spare Pratt. Today we're going to talk about an early big finish, but one that started off a whole new range and was unique at the time for being the first big finish. And in fact, it would be the only time Big Finish worked with the current Doctor. So we're going to start with Storm Warning. So we're back here with Chris. Hello. Joe. Hi there. And Doug. Hello again. So here's the trailer. Doctor Who. Storm Warning. Memoirs of an Edwardian Adventuress by Charlotte E. Pollard. Chapter 1. Candy floss clouds scattered as the mighty dirigible soared into the black night sky. Raise your glasses, gentlemen. I give you the R101. Ah, Frailing, over here, man, over here. Maybe they wouldn't be singing our praises, Lord Tamworth, if they knew that this ship hadn't completed its trial. Shh, shh, shh. Not having this, not again. Safe as houses. On paper, sir, on paper. Incredible. A time ship crashing. And again. And again. I watched as the full moon shimmered into view, casting silver rays about the cabin when... Oh no, Vortisors swarming to pick over the debris. Get away from there, you vultures! Leave that wreck in peace! I need you, Frailing. The Prime Minister needs you. Your king and your country need you to be stout, dependable and strong. It's just like I say, if I remember my Earth history correctly, the R-101 airship took to the skies for her maiden voyage to India early in October 1930. Yes, and? And crashed in flames in France during a storm in the early hours of the next morning, killing everyone aboard. Rocked by something. Never mind that now, Frailing. Look what that silly arse has done to me best mess trousers. Oh, look, I'm really very Sorry, I couldn't... I mean, I've... Whoops. Now, who exactly are you, and just how do you come to be aboard my airship? Is that the greetings over with? What? I'm the doctor, by the way. Oh, I'm Charlotte. Charlotte Pollard. Charlie to my friends. But it might be worth keeping an eye on that one as our little adventure progresses. They're breaking through. They're... God speed you on your way, airship R101. And God bless your passengers, the true masters of the air. So what's everyone's thoughts on Storm Warning, the first time that we'd met the Eighth Doctor outside of the TV movie? I thought it was great. I loved it. It, 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 I think it would have made an absolutely perfect two-parter for New Who. I think... It does have a bit of a feel of, of kind of new who about it, I think, but the best bits of, of new who. I think, uh, well, I hadn't really heard Paul McGann, Hornblower star, before. So he, he was new to me. And I, I have to say, there was a lot of exposition type chat at the beginning and kind of through it that bothered me somewhat I don't know why I mean not enough to not listen obviously but it was just kind of like so thanks for explaining every little thing that's happening right now and it just seemed to be a wee bit over much like I can use some of my imagination to, to get this but he just seemed to be just overdoing it in the text not him himself obviously it's a script the thing I noticed most there's an awful lot of talking to yourself. I mean, he addresses that. The doctor actually sees, uh, must stop talking to myself or something like that. Or it's the first sign of madness. I can't remember exactly what he says. But uh, yeah, the first, I don't know, five, maybe it wasn't quite five minutes. It seemed like five minutes. That It was just him and the TARDIS on his own talking to himself. Yeah, he was going on the, the books as well, all the different books, the first editions. I wasn't sure whether that was going to tie into something later on. But yeah, describing what was happening with the TARDIS all out loud seemed a wee bit clumsy. And then I think when the story really kicked off, kind of forgot about all of that, really. I, I suppose that's the problem with coming in with no companions. 
that yeah. you need that to happen in order to tell it because the original movie had a companion grace who was in it and then didn't go off with him in the end but apparently would have come back if it had been renewed to the series but they didn't have the rights to her because those rights are owned by fox who co-owned the movie so that's why they couldn't take that existing companion on so i suppose they had the choice which was to start with a new companion and have to introduce them as they went along or to do exactly what they did it would have been it must have been a difficult decision i guess at the time yeah that's what i thought it's you know it, it just highlights the need for a companion in these things i mean in the tv series it's helpful as well obviously for you know explaining to the viewer what's happening but just you know you can't have a whole episode with just the doctor um, talking to himself because that's just crazy. So, I mean, even even the amount of time that they had was was probably too much. It just felt like a bit of padding, really. Especially reading a few lines from was it Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or whatever. Um, I don't know how accurate that was read or not. I don't know. It was interesting because later on, Big Finish do go into Mary Shelley and the Doctor traveling together briefly. I suppose they could have had him just coming out of the TARDIS and chatting to people. Maybe that would have worked better than him in the TARDIS. Well, I thought the, the key to the story was this uh, spaceship or whatever it was stuck in a time loop and used the, using the TARDIS to nudge it um, to a second on or whatever so that all the people could either die or whatever it was was going to happen to them when they got out of the time loop. So that was a nice little start, but it was an awful lot of chat around that bit, I thought. But anyway, yeah, they've got, as you say, they've got to do something to to get the story going and meet the other people in the story. That's one of the things I quite enjoyed about, um, probably just kind of contrast both of you actually, I quite enjoyed the kind of the slow kind of cold open in that this kind of gave you an insight into what life is like on the TARDIS when he's on his own. He's still having little miniature madcap moments of adventure with effectively sm- small big consequences. Encountering the Vortasaurs and there's this random ship that's stuck in a time stream, which could be a setup for its own episode. You know, that's a sort of st- high stakes thing that happens literally on a hour by hour basis to the guy. I was about to say, like, it's easy for us nearly 20 years on from this to criticise some clumsy exposition when certainly couldn't write it myself. So I'm being incredibly picky when I mentioned that. It just felt a wee bit much there. But the whole story was a real good romp. We had some interesting accents, I think, which was um, <laughs> fun. We can maybe come to those later. Yes. But you clearly knew, and that was different from the first one that I listened to, you clearly knew who everybody was, for the most part. You knew what everyone was up to and where you were in the story. So I think certainly things had improved from the first couple. They did seem to work on that a lot better. It was a really, It was an easy listen you could imagine and construct in your head what this might look like. So I really did like that part of it. Yeah, there wasn't too much jumping around from um, group of people to group of people, was there? It was uh, yeah, that a linear help. type of story, really, wasn't it? Certainly compared to Spare Parts, the last one we did, again, a lot more of a smaller cast, but like a tight-knit cast. Nobody went off on separate side quests or picked up or, uh, somewhere else. It was certainly a very straight a linear story of these group of characters who have a big old romp in the sky. I think that's kind of a testament to the story itself, it being uh, all in one set, all on this big blimp in this middle of the sky. So you can't really go anywhere, which is quite, quite nice. I suppose it's a classic kind of ship in a bottle episode, isn't it? Where they're very stuck with the, the sort of people. And 
you know, I'm just looking at this. This was 2001. So it's over 20 years old. It was number 16 in the Big Finish releases. So it was quite early on, really. I mean, I think uh, Spare Parts was in the 30s. So this was good bit before that. Spare Parts is a great episode, but this does feel a little bit more claustrophobic. And I think that works in its favour. And it, it was interesting because this would have only been five years after the TV movie aired. We were just saying as we as we came in that probably only Doug and I actually have memories of the TV movie. I watched it on transmission. I was a student at the time in Edinburgh and I was really excited about it coming back. And of course, John Pertwee died about a week before, maybe. So it was very sad. There was a tribute to him, I think, when they, they showed it. And it was all billed as Doctor Who goes big American and it was up against the final of Roseanne in America. So that's it just did did, did nothing in America, but it did really good ratings over here. And I mean Doctor Who's always had a bit of a mixed reception in the States. But I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's aged as well as it should have, but I enjoy Eric Roberts' master, who is just proper scenery chewing master that there should be and it probably has more in common again with the way the master has been portrayed in the new series of Doctor Who it, it does feel very much like a stepping stone between classic Doctor Who and a new Who what did you think on re-watching it or watching it for the first time in 20 years what at the time originally I didn't I couldn't because I'd gone to the uh, Falkland Islands about a month before it was broadcast so I can't even remember if I knew it was going to be coming on or not I did get my mum to record it on uh, videotape VHS, way, that's how long ago it was, it was all happening. So I was down there for, well, it was going to be for five months, but ended up being five, six and a half months. So I didn't actually watch it until almost the anniversary in November it would have been off. And I remember being a bit disappointed, really. There was the kissing the Doctor and the Companion, and he was half human, and there was just a lot of things that had been changed. I think I maybe watched it once after that watching when I first came back, and possibly when I got the DVD version. Last night I watched the you know, the remastered version, which I'd not watched, and I watched uh, quite a few of the, the extras as well. So those give you context, which I don't think I ever knew at the time about the film being planned over many years. Philip Siegel, I think, was the producer. He changed companies about three times in the time this process was going on. He went to work for Amblin, which is Steven Spielberg's company. And I think this, the fact that Steven Spielberg um, was going to be linked to Doctor Who was part of the reason that it, it kind of got the green light. And uh, But then by the time, as, as as you mentioned, it was actually Fox that were a co-creator of the, 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 the movie. It is a bit of a link between New Who, as you say, because it, it certainly had the, the budget. I have seen it as well, but this again quite a few years ago. Do you remember the start of it being quite an interesting story in itself? I mean, where the Master's cop in this little Time Lord prison. He's dead. The Daleks yeah. exterminated him and they're taking the body back from Scarrow to Gallifrey, I think, is the kind of subplot. I think that's just what, and in itself, would have been a really great movie or audiobook to listen to. What did everyone think of Paul McGann and India Fisher in their roles? And did you recognise India Fisher's voice? Was it from Hornblower by any chance? No, it's not from Hornblower. It's, it is from a TV show. There's not. There's not many women in Hornblower, and <laughs> think most of them are Julia Swale. I didn't recognise India Fisher's voice at all. She is the voice of MasterChef. Oh, I have seen MasterChef, not very often, but yeah, I wouldn't have known that. I'm looking at going, oh, I've seen her name on that, but no, I would not have clocked that in, no, no, I wouldn't have managed that at all. Um, I've always been hoping that at some point they will do uh, an Eighth Doctor adventure where he gets stranded on Earth and Charlie has to take the job. 
<laughs> on a TV show. I've always wanted them to do that, and they haven't done it that yet. That would be good. A good tie-in, that would be. Um, I like them both. thought there was good rapport immediately between them. But I liked when she said Charlie to her friends, and he said Charlie then, and it was all re- he was really sort of affable, whereas I wasn't so sure with Peter Davidson's audio doctor whether that would have been the first thing necessarily. So he seemed a little bit more friendly, which was quite nice. Oh, it's friendly. He his first companion. No kissing. No, there was no kissing on this. <laughs> well, was... well, to be fair, you've only listened to one story. You might not. No, know how not in the first again. five minutes anyway. <laughs> but, it's very um... intense, very quickly. I've got to say, I, I, I really enjoyed Paul McGann pretty much from the start. Again, it, it being as you say, it was his first doc, his first Doctor Who since TV movie. So effectively, it's only his second episode, and I think he just fit the role so much more comfortably in this one than in the in the movie he just feels like he's been doing it for so long they felt so natural that like I, I was i was almost taken aback with how comfortable i felt with him considering again I hadn't spent much time with him he wouldn't have had to felt much time spend much time with the role himself yeah and he fits and he fit in so so well so easily into those boots i suppose as well once that didn't get taken up as a, as a series i think everybody thought well, that's got to be the last throw of the dice for Doctor Who. It's had its shot. It's tried its best to come back, and it's just not. And, and Paul McCann is a great actor, so coming back with someone of that caliber, it's a bit like when they came back with Chris Eccleston. They came back with someone who was really good at what they did, and I think that that made a big difference. But it was quite interesting to see that coming back. As I say, the only time Big Finish's career, and they only did it for about two years, in which they had the current Doctor and I remember reading that when they first got all the writers together to do Big Finish initially, one of the writers was Stephen Moffat. And the reason he didn't do it in the end is because he wanted to write for the current Doctor. And at the time, Big Finish didn't have the current Doctor. Oh, fascinating, that. That's a nice little tidbit. I think that's one of the reasons why I think this worked so well, again, straight from the off. You, you, you heard how much fun Paul McGann was going to have with this and how much I think he, having been jilted, from doing an actual physical TV show, like, you know, I'm just going to throw myself into this. And yeah, I think even the whole cast, you can hear the kind of fun they're having with it, especially again, to bring it back to Charlie and the doctor, how much chemistry they have off the bat. It's just a good fun. And you know, they're going to be having fun together for a while. I used to hope so anyway, especially again, to jump straight to the end, spoilers, how they round off the episode with the kind of the, the tease for either next episode or an arc. Very much an arc, I think, if I remember rightly. It'll certainly be good to hear the dynamics going forward with the with her stories again. I'm still coming pretty new to this, so looking to get, and get into the next one after this one, like canonically. One thing, I, one thing I want to just touch on before we move on is for all the fun you'd had with Paul McGann's Doctor so far, it's all very jovial to start with, and it gets a bit more serious when they meet the Triskilly. And then you have this wonderful like standoff between him and Rathbone, on on the top of this this scaffolding, I suppose, in the internals of the balloon, where he's holding the gun, the ray majigger. You can obviously technical term. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, up there with the doohickey and the gizmo. Although, what was it uh, the, the, the goober? Where you can almost hear, like in Paul McGann's acting and his voice, like it's almost that classic sort of doctor hint of I could actually do this. I could actually be nuts enough to do this. And you can hear Charlie as well, like, oh, my God, could he actually do this? Because even he says, like, she knows me better than anyone. 
She only met him like an hour ago. Yeah, he just inspires trust, maybe. Maybe that's his kind of thing. Must be a bit more than an hour ago because they got all the way from Cardington to France and that must take more than an hour at however fast an airship goes because it doesn't go very fast. I walked 10 miles away from Cardington and I've been to Cardington, not actually into the hangars because you, you need special, well, you know the right people to get into them. But there's a an offshoot of where I, where I used to work is uh, was right next to it so you can drive up the road and then turn right and, and go past them and they are absolutely massive if you drive along 421 past the south of Bedford these big things suddenly appear on your right hand side and those are the two balloon hangers that were you know built and the R101 was built inside them what did you think of the rest of the cast I know that obviously you know you've got Gareth Thomas, who is, for those of us who enjoy Blake 7, he is Blake. So I thought he started like Bill Oddie on the first line. <laughs> Bill Oddie, who then became very much very much uh, like Colin Baker in just the way he was speaking and the, the, the intonation. But you could tell it was Gareth Thomas. Well, I actually did have a look at the cast list this time so that I had a rough idea who was in it. And I, I may not have realised it was Gareth Thomas because he was putting on a good accent or an upper crust ex-military man or whatever, Lord of the Manor or whatever he was. But yeah, the, the first line, I just thought, crikey, it's Bill Oddy, is it? And that's when I checked who, who it was. It just, I think it was the intonation, the way he was saying things. And it wasn't all the way through, but I could certainly see it had that echo of Colin Baker's doctor to me. I really quite liked how the Triskeley had uh, mm. had sort of engineer primes and Tamworth lords and Doctor Thus, which was quite good. And I, I have to say, I quite enjoyed when Charlie and the, the Doctor got caught and mistaken for German spies. And he was like, oh, thank goodness for that. Otherwise, I would have had to shoot you myself. <laughs> okay, I'm liking the tone of this. <laughs> good he called himself Dr. Johann Schmidt. And then, which uh, would be the equivalent of the English John Smith, presumably, which is what John Pertwee called himself uh, in the first episode that he was in way back. I was slightly intrigued by the fact that the other bad guy, the bad guy Rathbone, was South African because Basil Rathbone was South African. And, and I just wondered whether that was a subtle hint at Basil Rathbone or if it's just a particularly South African name. I'm not sure. Well, I didn't realise Battle Rathbone was South African, but yeah, it could be. <laughs> I did think it must be Basil Rathbone and uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh. Certainly enjoyed his character. I mean, you really do loathe the guy. I loathed him from start to finish. Just that arrogance in his voice. And I don't know if you want to bleep this out, but he's just an arsehole. I think we can allow that. It's a podcast, I don't think. He was. He's I just think an we're arsehole. okay. I don't think Ofcom's going to come after us for that one. But... <laughs> He would argue that he's just following orders, I guess, doing it for the king and country. Yeah, I think he probably well, enjoyed his job quite a lot. He was quite brave because he got attacked by the Vortisaur. And then, as a referencing back to my excellent exposition from earlier, the doctor is quite uh, graphic about what's happened to this chap's arm. Um, just to make sure we know that it's quite a bad injury. <laughs> we could have just said, ouch, a lot, but no, no, we'll talk about this <laughs> in great depth. Mmm, yum. Do we assume, was it Ramsay that did that or was it another Vortisor? I assumed it was was, was, was going to be Ramsay, yeah. yeah. Although I will say, what I found weird, I can kind of, going from this through this arm, I started the audio, I thought this was going to be, again, as you say, everyone's stuck in a submarine sort of situation I thought it was be more like Alien than it was a comment on morality with good versus evil in a big old spaceship. Yeah, well, I mean, the first half of it was, there wasn't really much Alien in it, was there? There was the unknown uh, passenger in Room 34 or whatever it was, which ended up being 
something in a, a diving suit or a diving bell and ended up being an alien that they were going to meet the rest of the alien fleet coming to or the, the rest of it their is- race coming in a, a flying saucer. But uh, yeah, that, that didn't really sort of change over to the sort of alien story until about halfway through that, till the end of the second episode, really, didn't it? I mean, this is full of spoilers because he was being, you know, he he turned around from being the kind of officious type of sort of slightly more annoying character, <laughs> and he's going, he's trying to help the the Vortisaur, and he's like, oh, you know, if my son likes creatures, maybe you can come home with me here, have some food. Oh no, I've been eaten, which seemed a bit unfair, really. <laughs> they didn't, I don't think they needed to do. That. But I mean, I had a look, I had a look, and it's just off Wikipedia because I didn't really know the details of the R one one. But it says there were 48 of 54 people killed. So not every was dead. So the story said everybody was dead at the end of it. So they've obviously, well, either Wikipedia or the story aren't completely accurate. Well, I looked, I looked into it as well. And it was, as you say, 48 people died immediately. But then there were some survivors who died in hospital oh, like, yeah. straight away. So it was technically death by crash, but mm. just took a little bit longer, unfortunately for them. I mean, I suppose that is what's interesting is that because we didn't know there was going to be an alien threat, but we did know that the R101 was going to crash, potentially it could have been a purely historical. They could have not had the alien threat, and it could have been about how you get Charlie off of that that ship and then condemn everyone else to die. There's an interesting sort of moral message for the Doctor there as, as to how that works. And It's kind of like watching Titanic, isn't it? You're just, you know the destination of this story. You know it's got to end with big old crash. But it's like, is it going to happen? You can't change history. You know, that uh, the classic... The web of time. Yeah, there's the, mean, the name drop. Personally, I love the aliens in Titanic, so I don't know what you're talking <laughs> Was really it the silence? Because uh, I can't remember really them. Is such a great alien. So the Triskeli, I've listened to this a few times now. Could anyone pick up whether the Triskeli, the engineer that was in the ship that had landed, the one they were transporting back, was the, was the actual engineer prime? Because Charlie refers to the engineer that they have captured as she. I think the doctor does as well. And but. Then when she is returned to the Triskeli, they are referring to the engineer as a he. I don't think they did. I think that's a very, very well pointed out plot hole. Because I, I guess mean, it's, it, it, I it guess might it's be both. A, but, you know, that's quite um, forward thinking. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a, that's that's, a, that's it. They're just kind of the assumption of the listener is that that is the case. That is the same yeah. engineer prime. I mean, it, don't they? I can't remember if it's referring to. I think it is. Yeah, I, d- I didn't spot the, the he-she conundrum there. But, uh, I would have assumed it was the same one. But then again, I wasn't listening for that sort of gender specifics. It, was, yeah, it wasn't the first thing. It's just because I'd listened a few times by this point to try, yeah. try and remind myself of what we were doing. It sort of eventually stuck out. I didn't notice it on first listen at all. I did quite like the I like the concept of the Triskeli, although it felt a rather unbalanced try if you will, with the sort of the law maker and then the all of the engineers and all of the, the uncreators seemed not quite as balanced in my view. And I think if the Tamworth Lord, the Ringo <laughs> Minute, Tamworth Lord was going to go and help them reunite, I'd be really interested to see if that worked and if they they stopped being a Triskeli and became something else after that. A Dooskeely. 
<laughs> I mean, maybe there's another story to be had there. Maybe this is Big Finish should do a, a sequel. They've done a sequel to Sword of Orion, so they should maybe do a sequel to that and let us know how we got on. Although Gareth Thomas is sadly no longer with us, so okay, well that that would probably probably that would limit. Well, let's hope he succeeded. I'm sure he did. Well, maybe he yeah. he says he's an old man in the, in his last scene, really, doesn't he? But he's not yeah. going to be there forever like the previous uh, incumbent had been. I guess that's the the whole kind of point of him is to kind of to bring balance to to warring mental states of a species and not have to rely on a third party to keep the balance that you should be able to i guess that is is that part of the message of that then is that to as you're like teaching a small child how to be good or bad you have to let them figure it out for the, for, the, for themselves so is that what Tamworth lord the trying to do there he's basically trying to parent the species towards maturity yeah i suppose it, it's part of it is him his experiences through the war, showing the violence never solves anything sort of thing. I think it's a really interesting story with some interesting people in it. And I think it's all acted very well. I think it's written very well. Alan Barnes wrote it, who has written a lot of good stuff for years. Definitely one that sticks out in the memory of my 50 episode binge. (laughs) I just want to quickly touch on, again, going back to characters, Frailing. So when Frailing comes on, he comes as just a, a nervous person, not very assertive, but the second he gets to scream and kind of fight off the the unmakers gets that confidence the arrogance swagger which unfortunately leads to the tragedies of the r101 going down i just think that's quite a, a fascinating character arc almost flipped on its head of good guy turns into bad but like arrogant so that obviously that was the introduction of a new doctor and a new companion. So I thought it might be quite interesting to ask everyone who their first new doctor and new companion was. Uh, given that we're now seventeen years into new who? Oh God, seventeen years already. Well, I remember back in two thousand and five. I, I said before that my first memories of Doctor Who was watching Peter Davidson's final episode, but that's certainly not one I would call my first Doctor. It would have been Chris Eccleston into David Tennant for me. And I, th- I, I always remember um, it being like, wow, that's amazing. You can just, it, they do just change actor. That's fascinating. Let's go see what this is all about. But I remember when David Tennant changed into Matt Smith, I, hand on heart, wept. I wept for ages. And it... I, you sad because David Tennant was leaving or sad because of the story? A bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Because I think I remember watching, I think David Tennant's final scene where he sees Rose again for the final time, these quote marks, was a very powerful scene when he's staggering towards the TARDIS, snow's coming down, the orchestra is going absolutely mental. Like, um, when, as I say, I think when it comes to a regeneration episode or coming into a new Doctor, there is there's always this almost delicious apprehension about what's going to come next and what are what am I going to identify with with the new Doctor and companion. I think we're all going to be going through this same exact emotions this time next year when we get number 14 coming on board. Who's his companion's going to be? My, my Doctor that I remember regenerating is the same as Chris. I did, again, also watch Peter Davison. I don't remember regenerations from that era at all because i think they i watched bit watched it patchily i think so i think the regeneration was it was kind of expecting it i liked chris eccleston at the same time i was kind of 
ready for a new one. I don't know. I wasn't so so caught up. Maybe it was just the one series. And there wasn't so much huge story arc or something, but I was kind of okay with David arriving. And I, again, I was kind of emotionally ready for David to go. The manner of his departure, the inclusion of wealth, which is actually the bit that got me when he's, when he's knocking on that thing. And anytime he's on the screen, I'm bawling my eyes out, even if he's happy. I'm like, oh, I just want to give him a bosey and I hate hugs, but I just, I just would, yeah. So, so that was quite destroying. I was destroyed by it. And I wasn't sure about Matt because... He felt too young. And I think it was more how it made me feel as in, oh, I'm feeling old now because who is this man baby in charge of the TARDIS? And he very quickly started proving his chops. And, you know, I think every time, and we, we must all go through this of the, oh, I'm not so sure. Oh, I don't know if I like this one. The music's all, oh, I don't like this. And then it's time for the next one. And you're like, oh, no, I don't know if I like this one. <laughs> You go around and it was the same with Peter Capaldi. I knew I would like him, but for the first couple of episodes, I'm not ready for you yet. That's, isn't, that, isn't that the the fantastic fascination as a fan of Doctor Who is that you, again, you have to, you you literally like fall in love with these characters as they are, as each incarnation becomes more and more themselves. Again, I, I when, when I say my, my first Doctor is Chris Eccleston, my favourite Doctor is Peter Capaldi slash Matt Smith. It's a real constant juggle, depending on what, I'm, what mood I'm in or what I'm watching. Because by the end, like Capaldi, I think, was such a, a finalised version of what was started at the start of his run. And it's so vastly different. And so you get to the end, you're like, I, I, you're, you're, you're finished. You're complete. You're the perfect version of you. Please don't go. Why are you going now? You, you've just, you just arrived. This is still your first episode. What? I think that's what, and then you get them to regenerate and then your heart breaks because someone you're attaching to is leaving and may not come back. Hint, hint, 60th. I think there's a difference in Doctor Who as well about your first Doctor and your Doctor because my first Doctor was Tom Baker. I just remember Tom Baker regenerating. So my first regeneration was Tom Baker into Peter Davison. It was the moment it's been prepared for. But my doctor is Sylvester McCoy, without a shadow of a doubt. He's a doctor that I want to see. I want to see Sylvester McCoy in Ace. I don't really care about Peter Davison and his team as much. I mean, you should have seen my face when we were watching the Doctor Who thing and Ace and Tegan. And I was even pleased to see Tegan, and Tegan is not my favourite. But it took me a second to realise that's who it was. But at the minute Ace was there, there was like, in our household, there was just a collective intake of breath as we all went... <gasps> <laughs> We've been wanting that for so long. But I think, you know, I mean, I don't know, Doug, you're obviously, you're obviously way older than we are. Is it that obvious? You asked, it's not the first Doctor, is it? It's the first regeneration you've asked about, isn't it? So my first Doctor was John Pertwee, his first episode. Uh, I'd seen Patrick Trout, I think they mentioned the last time. I rem- I've got a vague memory of Patrick Trouty and Jamie and Zoe, I guess it was, running through a, a trench. And well, I'm, I'm assuming it was the War Games. But it could have been any gravel pit, really. But there wasn't a regeneration then. And I would really realised probably that what was happening, because I was only four and a half or something when John Pertwee's first episode was. But he just got, came out of the TARDIS, fell down, and that was it. And I can't even remember if I saw that episode or not. But uh, I certainly saw later ones in Spearhead from Space. So it was the 
the regeneration I saw was the uh, John Perry one into Tom Baker. And I was, you know, what would I have been then? He did it for five years, didn't he, John Perry? So I must have been about nine-ish by then, I suppose. Depending what, so I'd have been about nine then, depending what time of year it was. Yeah, I'd have been eight or nine then. And I, yeah, I think I was quite, I remember being cut up about Joe leaving, because I think that was the first companion I really remember. I don't really remember Caroline John. I remember bits going through the tunnels in the, Silur- in the Silurians. I'm not sure I remember anything about any, really about any of those stories in that first season. So Joe was my first companion. And then, obviously, Sarah was there for several years with John Pertwee and Tom Baker. But my memory, it wouldn't really be a re- regeneration. It'd be the three Doctors, because that was the first time all the Doctors came back together, and that was 73, I think, the start of the 73 season. So it wasn't a regeneration, but it was a sort of, uh, you know, coming together of the Doctors. So it was it was something a bit different. And I think the 10th anniversary special had come out before that was broadcast. So I knew quite a bit about Doctor Who then, just through that. It was like a, a Radio Time special, sort of Radio Time-sized magazine, but just all Doctor Who, no adverts or anything, all about Doctor Who photographs and stuff. A plan of how to build a Dalek. Apparently, wasn't very accurate, and, and photographs they'd taken of the well, they had an interview with Terry Nation in his house with some Daleks, and they had Ben and Polly being chased by cyber men who made up with bits of different cyber costumes from different eras. And that was a good five years after Ben and Polly had, would yeah, it would have been, yeah, yeah. So, I can't remember. I think they were the main old companions that were filmed or mm. photographed for that special. So that wasn't a regeneration, but it was the first time I probably realised, certainly the first time I remember seeing the other Doctors, and William Hartnell was just on the screen, so it wasn't really a, a full thing. And I wouldn't have seen William Hartnell until well, the repeat seasons, in probably the 90s, I guess it was, or the 80s, was it? They were repeating the, the, the early stories. I think it was the early 90s when Alan Yentob took over. The, he was on one of the extras in that uh, movie thing, and he took over as director of BBC Two, or controller of BBC Two, whatever his, his title was. And he, he started having old stories broadcast with different Doctor um, over a period of a few weeks and I think it was in the summer. Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be John Pertwee, you know, fading into Tom Baker was my first um, regeneration. And, it's, a good, uh, it's a good regeneration. I mean, that's the thing. I suppose my favourite Doctor was say, Sylvester McCoy and then he didn't get to regenerate for seven years. <laughs> he went off of the air in 89 and came back in 96 yeah. briefly for... As we just discussed, 15 minutes in order to get his regeneration. But I'm pleased he got his regeneration. And it's not as long a wait as Paul McGann had to get his regeneration. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what is quite cool about the TV movie is, is and, you, as a, and again, for you, Stuart, as a fan of your Doctor, you get the nice bit of closure, I suppose you'd want to call it. And the rounding off of your Doctor, he gets, turns up, get shot to ribbons, unfortunately. But, <laughs> yeah. At least he's in it. I know, right? But those... 15 minutes are like putting on the old jacket, picking up his brawly and you know, right back into it. Again, I think what I'm looking forward to is kind of experiencing Celeste McCoy through these big finishes and getting to know his kind of his doctor more. It's very difficult with Doctor Who because you judge it by the standards of today and sometimes stories don't reach that. My other half often says to me that we watch Doctor Who wrong because when we watch it, we watch like the whole story at once, but they're not designed to be watched. So that designed to be watched in half hour chunks. So it doesn't feel as, you know, it feels a lot more slow when you're watching it in a full sort of two hour thing than it does when you're watching it in half an hour. And I think that's kind of easy to forget. I think new Doctor Who's a much quicker and a much more faster pace. Which I find yeah. fascinating as well with, um, with listening to big finishes as we have done, and they still do it in the 25 to half hour chunks. 
And I, th- I find that quite, again, for audiobooks specifically, I find that quite jarring. I do like the kind of the keep the pace going. It feels like you build momentum, you're, you're at a high, and then it stops. Like, just, just keep going. Just don't worry about the credits. To quote Monty Python, get on with it. This was also a historical episode wrapped up in a sci-fi mystery. So, And that's something that's pretty lost from Doctor Who now. You don't get purely historicals on the TV. So the audios you do, you get some really good purely. And some of my favourite Doctor Who Big Finish stories are purely historical. There's some really good storytelling there. There's, I think, the first one with Evelyn Smythe. It's brilliant. I think it's a purely historical one, and it's really... It's made by Evelyn, though, who is great. She's she's awesome. I do, I do like her. It's a great character. Some of the purely historicals are great. I didn't know much about the R101 going into this. Wikipedia was really interesting. Like you, I guess, I think we all did it. We all sort of looked up a bit of history about it. I looked up to see if I could see if Charlie was mentioned anywhere and she wasn't, so I was like disappointed. I went to look for the manifest and and it was I was looking for these actual people if they were the if the, he was the head of air and all that kind of stuff. But I, I quickly realized they, they had to come up with new names because they can't exactly use people. Lord Lord Thompson was the air minister on the R101. So I- the other interesting thing was the use of new eighth doctor music. I think the score for this is the most crucial thing to the the entire story. I thought the score was perfect. All the sound effects really were on point for what you were expecting it to sound. Again, if you were to see it as a live broadcast, I say live broadcast, if it was recorded broadcast, it was just superb. And sound effects, score, everything felt so real, if you will. They had the Empire News at the start, didn't they? It was another bit um, of archive news footage which had sort of the background clicks like it was either off optical film or off some sort of rotating disc whether it was an acetate a record an lp type record or a, a rotating tube disc which it might have been back then i'm not sure when when one became the other but uh, they had that if you listen to it in headphones so you can hear that i don't know if it was obvious if you listened to it on speaker but uh, no I, I got the kind of pathy news style yeah. thing that they were trying, which was actually if I remember, was how the spare part started as well. Yeah, yeah, two yeah, two totally different things. It was a Starship Troopers. Uh, <laughs> Second homage. But no, I did. I thought the music and the sound was was really good. I thought it kind of evoked. As I say, this story felt to me like quite a good sort of bridge between classic Who and New Who. It just kind of felt like it fitted in quite well. I think if you were to make this a, 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 in modern day, it would stack up quite easily. Again against any new who you've got out there, especially if you'd put it up against something like Voyage of the Damned, for, for instance. Again, that's sort of, again, stuck on one one set and you're facing your impending doom. Cold War, for example, again, that you're locked on a ship with little or to no escape. I'd love to see Paul McGann come back and do a series. I mean, Russell, if you're listening, yeah. and I'm sure you are, because I'm sure you were bowled over by our first podcast, <laughs> then um, can you... Can can you just sort us out with a Paul McGann series, please? And if you could put Paul Copley in as a, a yeah, Copley. companion, and may, maybe maybe yeah. Anyone else from Hornblower you'd like? A uh, young Griffith, yeah, that would be quite good. He's probably shorter work these days. Yeah, on the whole, I thought it was a really interesting entryway for Paul McGann, and I think it really showed the potential of that Doctor that I don't think was realised on screen. Part of that 
having Charlie, who was just a great companion, but there was some lovely writing. Gareth Thomas was really good. I thought it was a really good episode. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Again, I thought it was just re- a really good way to, to introduce Paul McGann's Doctor. Again, again, what his potential could have been, as you say. I love the setting as well. It's not, not quite the story I expected, but I still really enjoyed the story. And again, as I've said, the score really, and the, the effects editing as well on the voices, it, it for me was, it set itself up. If I was to recommend a big finish to anyone else for the first time, I'd probably put them towards this one. Again, it was things re- an incredibly strong outing, certainly as a first outing, Paul McGann. Give me that series. Give me that series. Russell? So yeah, I really like the dynamics and the light and the dark of it. I like the humour from Tamworth at the beginning, Jolly Hockey Sticks chat and his sort of mini arc into being the the lawmaker of an alien race at the end. I quite, quite enjoyed that journey and Paul McGann's Doctor and Charlie are excellent. Yeah, me, I enjoyed it too. It was, uh, I was pretty like Garth Thomas actually because uh, he wasn't very recognisable as Garth Thomas but he was very engaging in the story I am. Enjoyed his upper crust character. It was good. Uh, to, well, it got me to watch the Paul McGann movie again for the first time in whatever many years. So uh, it was uh, it was nice. I, I, I guess I realised it wasn't his uh, his own voice that he was doing the Doctor, but I only really realised that when I was watching the extras and he was uh, he was talking um, in an interview and he's uh, you know he's a scouser I think isn't he? So yeah, you know the Doctor's voice isn't his own voice. Unlike I think pretty much every other Doctor has done it in their own voice, haven't they? Not David Tennant. That's David, yeah. David Tennant, yeah. Um, but all the you know the ones I grew up with, it was all you know the, the, their own voices. They they still sound the same when they're talking in interviews as they do um, with the doctors. So uh, so Paul obviously um, put that voice on and managed to bring it back, you know, for the for the audio play as well. well so I think I think he does speak more. Like, I think his his voice has maybe softened a bit over the years. So I think he sounds more like his doctor now than he probably did when he was playing the character. We were lucky enough to be at Big Finish Day a few weeks ago and Paul was one of the guests. So it was fascinating hearing him talking about working with India again because they just recorded and such like. But it was just really nice to to hear him talk about how much he really enjoys playing that part. He didn't mention Hornblower once. Which, Shocking. I mean, I think that's just just not on. I'm just disappointed. You know. <laughs> he let himself down with that. I think. Yeah. That's that's really it. You know, I'm not angry. <laughs> Just, Just disappointed. <laughs> and I suppose that now that we've all talked about how much we enjoyed this one, it's time to talk about what we're going to talk about next. So I'm I'm going to suggest masterful, if that's okay. Are you are you only choosing that because it's got Michelle Gomez in it? Yes, <laughs> but I'm sure it's very good. I would be stoked to hear John Sim again. Hey, I think he's brilliant. Yes, he's also good. Jordan Sim is very good in it. Who else is in it? John Sim, Derek Jacoby. Uh, Eric Roberts is in it, isn't he? He is. Mark Gatiss is in it. Katie Manning is in it. John John Culshaw's playing Chameleon. So Chameleon was a robot in Peter Davison's era, wasn't it? Peter Davison, yeah, I'm sure. It was Peter Davison, yeah. And so you've got, uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's it's got John Sim, Eric Roberts, Derek Jack, Alexander McQueen, who is a big Finnish master. And Jeffrey Beavers, who is was married to Caroline John and played the master in the late 70s, early 80s. So we will uh, all have a listen to that. And so this is what Masterful is roughly going to sound like. 
I presume you summoned me. To a ruined castle on a desolate rock? Uh, hardly my style. From Big Finish Productions. You may have wondered why I called you here today. To a ruined castle carved from obsidian, decorated with black marble and black drapes, one senses a theme. It's because one of you in this room is a murderer. And it's me! <laughs> Masterful. Ah, my dear master, 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 and master. This is a very great and, may I say, unexpected pleasure. We've never done this before. Got together, had a chinwag, swapped evil schemes. Yes, and knees up. And it's not just to cheer up, you sad sops. No, it's to gloat. Why? Lean in. No, lean closer. I've won. The doctor is dead. Well, I'm going to fight back, and I won't ever give up. Look your master in the eye. The thing is, someone, naming no names, but hint, hint, gloaty McGloatface over there, forgot to invite me. So, I am gate-crashing. You're a beautiful woman, improbably. I'm the master, and you will obey me. Your cute little frowny frowns, the seven dwarfs, schemey, 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 and crispy. That's you, barbecue. Look out there. Planet may not be much, but the sunsets to die for. All those stars, mine. All the planets spinning around them, mine too. All creation bows down and worships me. I am finally the master. The universe hangs in the balance. Boom. Pure raging evil. I've come from another dimension. The stars are going out in my universe and the threat comes from this one. Miss Grant, listen, listen. Listen, we're all the master. We're all the master! <laughs> Big finish. We love stories. My name is Kitty. Pleased to meet you, Kitty. I'm pausing, waiting to hear yours. It is... Uh, I, I am generally referred to as... The... Yes? Would you believe Jeremy? Thank you very much for listening. Please hit that subscribe button and uh, we look forward to speaking at you next time. So, goodbye. <laughs> bye. Goodbye. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, goodbye. Bye.